Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise God. Wow. Need to give another little blessing this morning. Uh, this summer, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Ryan Kohlinger has been filling in and as our interim technical director. And as you can see, things have been running smoothly and you haven't seen him too much out here on the stage. So that's actually a good thing. So. Way to go, Ryan. Thank you so much for your help. It's been a joy to be around you this summer. He's worked quietly and efficiently and uh, with a tremendous work ethic. So it's been a real, real blessing uh, to me. As you know, um, we've spent some time, what we would call overseas. There's not actually a sea between us, but there's some pretty big lakes. Um, we've been to Canada for the last two and a half years. And uh, it's interesting, even though it's a small little line, there's a tremendous chasm. And culturally, uh, one of those big differences, at least I feel fairly safe saying this in the Midwest, is our appreciation of firearms. You know, the Canadians just don't get this. You know, they look at us Americans and they're like, what in the world? You bunch of gun toting, pickup driving rednecks. What is wrong with you? And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know. No, here's the thing. I, and here's this is totally I mean, you can take it or leave it. Just punt this one. If you're like this pastor's crazy, whatever. But I think this is my own little foray into um, political, cultural commentary and analysis. I think for Europeans and people with European background, what happens is you come into their house and you see this uh, family shield or symbol or something, and oftentimes there's a shield and there's swords. And what that represented historically is this family and they would live this agrarian lifestyle and they would go out and they would use their bow and arrows to hunt for game they would use their bow for deer or they might use their falcon for um, small game like rabbits or other things like that and then if an invading horde or barbarians from wherever would come in they would grab that family shield off the shelf and their implements and tools which they normally used for hunting and take to defend their family and home and property well, in the same way, I feel like historically this is what's happened in the United States. My family is from the Midwest, and they uh, grew up in Nebraska. And so basically my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, blah, 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 are all from the area of basically uh, cattle and corn. And that's it. So you go to Grandpa's house during the summer, and there's not a whole lot to do. But they do happen to hunt deer and they do happen to chase pheasants and rabbits. Now, not with bows and arrows or falcons, but instead with shotguns and 22s and other things. And so for fun, what you do when you're out with grandpa is you go hunting. And as a result, my, the, even though I didn't grow up on a farm, this sort of family tradition, this cultural heritage was sort of bred into me and into my blood. And I came to appreciate these sort of sporting family events. So, Canadians, this is what's happening here. It is not a um, gangster, violence-driven, you know, media, pop culture affection for bad stuff, but it's instead this agrarian 
family, historical, cultural heritage wherein you go outside and enjoy living off the land. So this is what we would do is we'd go out and we would shoot stuff. And uh, within the law, of course, within our licenses and blah, 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 but we would go out and shoot things. And this became sort of a family tradition for us at Thanksgiving or at Christmas either at grandpa's house or if we weren't at grandpa's house and out on, you know, in the cornfields, then we would go to the Missouri Department of Conservation and shoot clay pigeons. Now, the thing about this is, is these are firearms, so you want to be safe, and people who use these things do know that there's some general guidelines that make this a lot more enjoyable. The Ten Commandments of Firearm Safety are, you always point every gun in a safe direction. Exactly right. You keep it unloaded unless you're ready to use it. You keep your finger off the trigger. You put it on safe. You know, you're you're very intentional and disciplined about what you're doing. And as a result, respectful of the people who are around you. So in general, you, you go by these rules. You pretty much can't go wrong. It's only when you blow one of these things that you make a big mistake. So you keep it pointed in the safe direction. Everything's good. Well, when we'd go out with our family... Kind of the underlying assumption is you're going to live by these rules. If you want to come out and you want to uh, have a good time with us today, you're going to follow these guidelines. And not only that, but in our family, we also have a bit of a family lore. And that is, you know, we're going to shoot clay pigeons and sometimes you're going to miss. And sometimes I'm going to miss. And maybe, just maybe, if I miss... You might rub it in a little, but in the end, if I hit one, you're going to cheer for me. And if you hit one, I'm going to cheer for you. Because we love each other, we want to encourage each other, and we want this to be a good time. This is not a bloodthirsty cutthroat competition. (laughs) This is a family outing. This is an event. This is something we're doing for fun to build teamwork and camaraderie and sportsmanship. So yes, you know, it's fun to do a little ribbing, but in the end, we're going to encourage one another. And it's going to be a good day. So the basic premise then of shooting in this, in this way that we operate is you submit yourself to the rules, you play by the rules, and you encourage your brother. And if you do that, it's going to be a good day. Hit or miss, it's going to be a good day. And what I want to say to you today is, guess what? Psalm 103 is just like that. The psalmist is calling upon us to bless the Lord. And that's a bit of a weird phrase because we're like, what do we mean? Bless the Lord. What it means is basically this, and I'll explain it to you as we walk through. But here's the basic summary idea is that if you submit yourself to his rules, you play by the terms of the game, you submit yourself to the covenant and you're kind to your brother. It's going to be a good day. Yeah, sometimes you're going to miss, sometimes you're going to hit, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you won't. But in the end, as long as you have submitted yourself to the terms of the game, and you're kind to your brother, it's going to be a good day. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 103. That's the 103rd Psalm of the book of Psalms. The King David has written it, and I'm going to read it. Psalm 103. Psalm chapter 103, it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like that of the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his way to Israel, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and it knows its place no more. But... The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Early in our dating career, um, given this cultural, historical heritage and background, I wanted to introduce Robin to my, you know, one of my favorite family activities, shooting. Surely everyone will love this, right? I mean, it is so much fun. If you've never done this before, you've got to try it. Come on out. Let's go shooting. You know, so I take her out, and I've got a nice big honking 12-gauge. But I'm trying to be gentle on her, so I'm like, okay, we're, we're all right. We're going to get her the smallest shotgun we can. Here's the little double barrel 410. You'll be fine, right? I'm going to throw the clay pigeons. I'll give it a nice, gentle, you know, swoop. And I want you just to lead it a little and pull the trigger. Bang. Lots of fun. Here we go. You ready? So I'm like... You know, she's like, where'd it go? What happened? I said, well, you got to lead it a little, right? So again, nothing, nothing. After a while, nothing's happening. I'm like, all right, let me, let me try that a little bit. Let me show you what's going on here. Now, 14 years later in our marriage, she says to me, oh, by the way, what does lead it mean? Oh, good point, you know? I mean, she was being the nice, you know, dating newcomer to the family, and she's like, yeah, this is lots of fun, you know, meanwhile, and so I'm just thinking, whatever, you know, come on, you have fun doing this? We haven't gone clay pigeons shooting since. I don't know why. It's fun. You just got to lead it a little, right? Well, let me do something for you because you may be reading this psalm and you're reading the first word and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I don't want you to get 14 years down the road and be like, Oh, by the way, what's bless mean? 
This is kind of a weird word because we use it in daily conversation like hachu, kazuntite, God bless you. And usually the term bless moves from the greater to the lesser. Nearly always. It's always the giver to the receiver. And so how in the world do we come to this spot in the Bible where the infinite, almighty, limitless, incredibly rich God is being blessed? How can we, who are finite and sinful human beings who inevitably fall short of his incredible glory and grace, bless him? How in the world does that happen? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, let me see if we can figure this out. As I did a little bit of study into the um, history of this word and how it developed, what I learned was this. Now, hopefully this won't color your uh, view of the word in any way, negative or positive, I suppose, whatsoever. But let me give you the meaning, and then surely you will remember at least the term. The word in Hebrew, to bless, from its Middle Eastern Semitic origins, this is the Hebrew word. Are you ready? It is Barak. It is. Our current administration, the current president's first name, comes from that origin, which means to bless. Barack Obama means bless Obama. Barak is to bless. This is how it developed. Let me show you um, what happened. Um, but this is actually how, how it will explain to you what the word means as well. Um, the word comes from a, another word which is actually related to camels. Okay? Not the cigarettes. <laughs> and nor is it related to this guy either. Okay, but instead it is related to this guy right here, camels, the real one. But what it's actually from, let me read a a verse to you and then it will hopefully become all the more fuzzy and eventually the more clear. It is Genesis 24.11. This is the first time we see this word show up in scripture and it says this, he made the camels kneel down outside the city well of water at the time of the evening, the time when the women go out to draw the water. Back in the good old days. Just kidding. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, man. Dig out. Dig out. Here we go. All right. So the word here, Barak, is being translated as kneel. So what you would see when a big, thirsty camel goes out to drink is something like this. You would see the camel kneeling down. What happens then as that word develops and is used down through time is that it starts off as the camel kneeling down to get a drink of water. And then in later uses, you see it in Second Chronicles like this. Solomon made a bronze platform He set it in the court, he stood on it, and then he knelt on his knees. Now listen to what he was doing while he was kneeling. Was he drinking? No. But instead, in the presence of all the assembly, he spread out his hands towards heaven. So now it has gone from the camel kneeling to get a drink to all of a sudden Solomon kneeling down to worship. 
Then in Psalm 95, a few psalms before this, you see this word being used like this. It says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. As a result, what happens is the word Barak, etymologically or historically, the way it develops, is it goes from kneeling down to blessing or worshiping, because that is a very real way in which you worship or you bless. In other words, you show submission. And that is the key factor or point that I want to point out to you in this word. What does it mean for us to bless God? How in the world does a lesser bless the greater? Here is a word with, or a sentence with three S's in it that I think will summarize it fairly well. It is this. A subordinate blesses a superior by submission. A subordinate blesses a superior by submission. So what do I mean by that? Well, if, if, if you've been a parent, not that you have to have been or need to be, but if you have, you've probably experienced this. Your children say to you, I love you, I love you, and then they go downstairs and it's, you know, and you're like, hey, wait, you just said you love me. Do you remember what I told you to do? Do you remember how I told you to treat your brother and sister? Do you remember what I want from you? I really appreciate that you said you love me. That's great. I really do. That's super nice. But if you really want to show me how much you love me, if you genuinely want to show me, then the absolute best way for you to do that is to do what I say. If you will obey me, if you will submit yourself to my rule in our house and do what I say and treat your brother well, Man, I will feel so loved. I will be really encouraged. You can make my life a whole lot better by doing that. Saying you love me is great. But show me you love me. Man, that makes a difference. Do you see where we're going with this biblically? Do you see how this connects to James? Do you hear how Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commands. Show me. Not just in word, but in deed as well. You know, if we come on Sunday mornings and we sing, oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, God, you're so great. Then we go out on Monday and do something totally different. How do you think he feels? Not so blessed. How do we show him that we love him, that we truly want to bless him? By obeying him, by submitting to him, by kneeling down. This is indeed the fundamental root meaning of this word. So what I'm saying to you this morning is when you come to this word and you're reading it, it's not kazuntite, like just something you say out of courtesy, but it is something that you take to your very heart and soul and apply to your everyday life. That you submit yourself to God and his covenant and his terms and obey them and live by them. And as a result, in that sense, you become a blessing to him. Then the subordinate in submission is blessing the superior. So, how does that look for David? Well, in the Old Testament, they have a very clear covenant. They have these rules and stipulations and laws and sacrifices and penalties. And David submits himself to them. And look how he ties it then to his blessing in verse 10. 
In verse 10, this is how the blessing, God, David blessing God is tied to God blessing David. He's talking about God and how he deals with the sinner. And he says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's good. We like that. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and to his and his righteousness to his children's children, comma, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. See, David is tying the blessing to his submission to the covenant. He is calling upon himself and his own soul to submit in every way to God and his terms. And as a result, he knows that God will be faithful to keep his covenant. Thus, when David in verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He is in effect saying what Jesus commanded us to do. That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. With all that is within you. Every single part of your being, both your immaterial and the material aspect of you. What goes on inside your mind, your heart, your attitude, your spirit, your thoughts, your motivations, your intentions, everything. Drawing all of that together so that it all submits perfectly and completely to the will of God. David is in effect commanding his soul to do this. Because it's not easy. Our souls want to rebel against this. In their own you know, sin-driven past, they desire to go the wrong way. And so he takes it by the reins, tries to take control and says, No, soul, this is what you're going to do. You desire to go the other way, but I will steer you in this direction. You will submit yourself to the covenant in every single way, not just in external actions, but in heart, in mind, in every part of your being. You will submit to God and you will be a blessing to him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. In effect, what David is saying is, I bow down to you, Lord. I kneel like the camel. I bend the knee and I submit myself to you in every way. That is significant. And that's what we as New, New Testament or New Covenant Christians want to be about as well. Now, obviously, our agreement's a little bit different. We're not bringing sacrifices. We have a once-for-all sacrifice in Jesus. So we don't have to do that over and over again. But what we do in a similar way is we submit all of ourselves to the new covenant. And the new covenant is based on the single sacrifice or act of Christ wherein he paid our price for our sins. So what we do then is we do three things. Basically, we repent, we believe, and we obey. Repent, believe, and obey. We say we are sorry for our sins. We will try not to do that again. We believe in Jesus' sacrifice as being effective for the payment of our sins. And as a result, now we walk forward in faith, having repented and believing in the power of God that he will help us along the way. Repent, believe, and obey. 
Those are the terms of the new covenant. And we must submit ourselves to them. If we try to do one or the other, or only half, we're not being uh, fully orbed Christians. In other words, for example, if we just say, we're going to obey, we're going to obey, we're going to obey, we're going to obey. We're being legalist. And if all we say is, well, we're just going to believe, but we're not going to worry about the whole obey, obey thing, then we're licentious. And we've erred on, and the pendulum has swung, and we've gotten completely out of balance. What we need to do is move back to the middle where we do this gospel waltz and do all three and say, Lord, I believe that you are powerful enough to overcome my sin. And I'm sorry for doing that. I messed up. And yes, Lord, I will try to obey, but it's not me. It's you working in me so that you will produce the results. Repent, believe, obey. Bless the Lord. Submit yourselves to the new covenant, to the agreement, to the terms that God has called us to live under. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So, what does it mean to bless the Lord? It means to submit to Him. Now, it also means and carries the additional meaning of praise and admiration. But I think with regard to the submit, are you ready? We've smoked that one. Okay, clay pigeon shooters, explain it to your wives when you get home. All right, if you break a clay, it smokes. All right, we've covered it. All right, we got it. Good. Oh, groaner. Here we go. Next. So let's talk about sporting clay some more then. This last week, since that one didn't work, I'll try this one. This last week, I was invited to a sporting clays event, and um, I really don't shoot a whole lot. In fact, being in Canada for the last three years, all our guns are locked up in a safe, and I'm pretty rusty, and I'm wondering, how is this thing going to go? And I also know from past experience that some guys are pretty competitive, and you never know what sort of team you're going to be on. And you could be on the Christian team where the guys are like, yay, 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 rah, it's okay, don't worry about it, brother. Or you could get on the team where the guys are like, man, we got to win this thing and there's money on the line. And come on, buddy, if you miss it, I am not going to be happy with you. (laughs) So I'm getting a little bit nervous about this event, right? I'm wondering what sort of team will I be on? Because it makes all the difference in the world if your team is positive and fun-loving and encouraging. Now, I know about this from firsthand experience having played basketball in high school. I sat the bench and did this all the time. Go team! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Yay team! <laughs> Go team! I'm pretty good at that defense, right? I can do that, right? Go team! This is the other side of the coin or the other aspect or meaning of bless. First of all, you submit yourselves to the rules of the game. But secondly, once you've agreed to sign up for this team, you need to be positive and encouraging to your brothers. And what happens is, when you submit yourself to God's rule, you are now on his team, and guess who's the star player? It's not you. It's him. And guess who's the best person on the team? It's not you. It's him. And so you sit there as God does the work and he brings it home and you're just like, yay, God, go, woohoo, nice work. You can do it. And you are cheering for him and blessing him and submitting to the rules of the game. 
This is how you have a good time. And this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. So why should we bless? Well, look, well, what does it mean to bless God? Well, basically it means to submit to him and cheer him on. Submit to him and praise him or cheer him on. Now, let's move on to the second point then, which is this. And basically the question is, is why? What does it mean is to submit and cheer him on? Now, why? Why should I bless God? Well, once you realize that he is the best player on the team, it becomes rather obvious, I would hope, and that is because he is the best player on the team. His character is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He's beautiful. He's true. In other words, he deserves it. You're not even bragging. You're not even boasting. You're not talking out of turn or saying anything out of line. You're just calling it the way it is. God is the best. He always gets it right. He never makes a mistake. So let's say that. You know, praise the Lord. He's good. He gets it right every time. Sometimes people will come up to me after we've had a good worship service or something. They'll say, you know, something like, you know, I enjoyed this aspect or I enjoyed that or blah, blah, blah. And frequently my response is, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Bless the Lord. And my intention in doing that, I know for a while, at some points it can sound like, well, that's pretty Christianese, you know. <laughs> nice cliche answer there, Pastor. But the reason I do that is because I really do want to be intentional because I realize, you know, if God is not in this, I will totally flop. We will completely fail, and it's all about him and not us. And so if we don't give credit where credit's due, we're really making a mistake. We go out there and start thinking it's us or we're doing well. We are in a world of hurt. So anytime something good comes up that we want to acknowledge, I'm always like, thank you, God, because I know this didn't happen on account of me. So, why should we bless him? Well, number one, he deserves it. He's the best guy on the team. He hits the mark every time. And number two is this, another reason to praise him, and this is one of my very favorites. This is the one that encouraged me the most this week as I studied this text. Is because even though he knows us, he still loves us. In other words, he knows us the best, and yet, despite this, he loves us the most. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Verse 14, check this out. It says, he knows our frame. God knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, and then he's gone. Wind passes over it. He knows his place no more. Now we read this text, and we're kind of like, whew, that's morbid. <laughs> wow. I used to think I was something special, and now I don't anymore. Let me give you a little hint. <laughs> this is not that encouraging. I've, back when I was in rural ministry, I did a lot of funerals. And um, what I realized at some of these funerals is that the great-grandchildren, you know what they're doing? They're dancing around on the headstones. And you've got to realize somebody's going to dance on your headstone someday. And they won't even know that you were there. And that can be pretty humbling when you think about it. But the reality is we are dust. From dust we came and to dust we will return. 
And that can send a lot of us into depression, but in fact, the funny thing is, is it's a very encouraging thought. What do I mean by that? Well, whenever you don't have the answer, what do you do? Google it, right? (laughs) Or ask your friends on Facebook. That's option number two. I went with the latter this week, and I said this, realizing that we are just dust, I said... I asked this question just to see what sort of answers I would get because I was genuinely asking the question. I said, what do you expect of dirt? What do you expect of dirt? It was really fun to watch the replies. The first person replied, "Um, is this a rhetorical question or just an odd one? (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? Good point. Because it could be either or, right? I mean, from the fact that God made us from dirt, it could be a rhetorical question to simply say, hey, we shouldn't have that much of an expectation. Or I could just be weird. Another person said, well, and this is obviously coming from a mom, if I'm trying to be clean, it's my enemy. But if I'm trying to grow something, it's my friend. That was very nice use of antithetical parallelism, by the way. You may be a psalmist and not even know it. And there you go. Another person said that it will come out when clothes are washed, but it will hold enough moisture to support growth. It will make mud balls for fun with kiddos, then reference the first statement. Okay? Climactic parallelism. Yeah. Another person said, I've always wanted to try one of those mud baths. See, we're learning a lot from Facebook. (laughs) And finally, another person said, wow, what a simple yet deep question. My first thought was that, well, nothing do I expect of dirt. And then my last thought was, wow, we can't live without it. From dirt, I expect life and growth and food and abundance. I am completely dependent on it. Indeed, what do you expect of dirt? You are dirt. Let me explain this to you this morning. In every simple way, you are dirt. So what would you expect of it? Well, in and of itself, not a whole lot. It's just dead, decaying matter. It is rot and it is filth. So what would you expect of that by itself? Nothing. So next time you think you're perfect or superhuman or hero or whatever, lighten up. Take it easy, man. You're just dirt. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Your expectations shouldn't be that high. You are dirt. Okay? (laughs) But I want a job next Sunday, so let me give you a little bit more. (laughs) Here's what it is additionally cool of dirt. Even though in and of itself dirt is nothing, what happens, and now I'm not a scientist or an expert in this, but as I understand it, given the right conditions, as a result of the decomposition and decay, all of a sudden you get fermentation, then there's fertilization, then a seed is implanted, water comes, it, the seed germinates, sunlight grows the sh- seed into a tender shoot, all of a sudden there is Uh, leaves, and then buds, and then flowers, and then fruit. 
And there's this incredibly beautiful process that when the conditions are right and the life has entered into it, that it produces something beautiful. Well, as in nature, as in um, general revelation, so too in us according to God's special revelation. We are, as a result of the act of sin, dead. We are spiritually dead. We are decaying. We are filth. We are rotting matter, spiritually speaking. However, like the original creative act, wherein in the garden God makes humanity from dirt, so too in the salvific act when God is regenerating us. He takes this dead and decaying spiritual matter, he breathes the breath of new life into it. And as a result, the seed of faith is germinating, is taking root, and beginning to grow into a tender shoot. And then, as the conditions are right, encouraged by Bible reading, prayer, and the community of faith, it begins to grow, and eventually you see a blossom and fruit. This is the process of the Christian life. This is God's amazing act of salvation at work in you and in me. So what are we? Well, we're just dirt. We're dirt. We're dirt. And it's good to be dirt. Because then we don't expect anything of ourselves, but we are completely dependent Upon him. We don't think of ourselves then, I think, as superheroes, strong in and of ourselves, but instead we think of ourselves as soil, completely dependent upon the work of God. We are not superheroes, we are soil. And how encouraging and comforting that is, because then what we realize is that God knows our frame. He knows that we're dirt. He knows that we're dust. And therefore, he doesn't expect more of us than we can produce. He doesn't give us more than we can bear. And anything that he requires that is beyond us, he provides the means for us to accomplish. So his expectations are reasonable. His demands are just. And while at the same time he can be just, he can also be the justifier. Because he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And so we join in with the psalmist and then we say, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Man, he remembers from whence I came. He knows what I'm composed of. He knows what I'm capable of. And either he will give me the ability to do it or he will accomplish it himself. Because he knows me and he knows my frame. For, as the psalmist says in Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. My soul knows it very well. So why should I bless the Lord? Well, because he deserves it. Man, he deserves it. And even though he knows me so well, yet 
he still loves me. Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Lord, we submit, we submit ourselves to your rule. Will you do that with me, church? Will you submit to him? Will you bend the knee and bow before him and say, yes, we will play to the terms of the game. We will obey the gospel. We will repent, believe, and obey. We bend our knees. We bow our hearts. Oh God, you are good. Who is like you, God, verse 3, who forgives all our iniquities? Listen to these action terms. He heals our diseases. He redeems our lives. He crowns us with mercy. He satisfies us with good. God is at work. We bless you, O Lord. Our souls delight in you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What's your target? What are you shooting at in life? What is your goal? I'm not sure what your answer will be, and probably you know the right answer. But I'm hoping we can come to a point where we will all fully submit to the plan of God, wherein His goal is for us to bless Him. And by that I mean that we submit to His covenant and we praise Him for who He is. We agree to the terms of the game and we say, God, You are the best. You're the best all around. This, I think, if we do, will truly bring glory to God. Even though we are dirt, he will produce the results. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Church, I want to encourage you this week, if you're looking for the benefits of God, if you want to see his benefits in your life, read this psalm this week. There are five action words. Forgives, redeems, restores. I can't remember the next few, but you get the point. And what you could do is this, is throughout the week, each day, pick one of those words and pray for that benefit. Today I'm going to talk about forgiveness, and I'm going to bend my knee, bow my heart, submit to the covenant, God, and trust you for your benefits. God, I submit. I submit. And I want to bless you as your subordinate. I want to bless the superior. And consequently, I submit myself to you And Lord, I pray that your covenant would be true in my life and that you would forgive me. Do that. Next day, do the same thing over and over again. And by the end of the week, my hope is that you will once again be uh, enjoying, delighting your soul in God. And you will say with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and truly mean it. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and grace. Lord, you're a perfect God. You are perfect. You get it right every single time. Everything you do is right and true and just. You never make a mistake. And Lord, as we come to you now, we're just thankful for that. We're thankful that we can be on your team. We pray that you would help us to play by the rules of the game. We would submit ourselves to you, that we would bow our hearts, bend our knees, and bring honor and glory to our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.